this nurse sees me sitting there and she says, John, is that you? And I looked up as this nurse that I had, lady I had known from Athens. Mm -hmm. And she sat down on the floor and like all good nurses, she started asking questions. They had me in the emergency room. The day that your son was born. Yeah. Picture this, you have been waiting for months, actually for nine months for this moment where you and your wife have this newborn baby. You're in the hospital and you're carrying this infant back down the hallway to place him back in the nursery. And as soon as you place the baby down, you're so exhausted that you've got to take a seat and literally sit down in the hallway. And that's a moment when our nurse sits down next to you and starts asking a few questions. And within an hour of having a newborn baby, you find yourself on a hospital bed in an emergency room because there's something really, really wrong with you. Well, you're gonna hear that moment from my guest today, John Barry, on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Strucker. Hey, again, thanks for being willing to be on the show. We'll just get started. Let's talk about how you ended up making music. Where did you get your start? Um, Why did you want to start uh, writing and singing? Sure, yeah. Um, I was born in Aiken, South Carolina, moved to Atlanta when I was a kid, about eight years old. And lived in Decatur, Georgia, just a suburb of Atlanta, on Thomas Road, and uh, had three buddies, Brian, Sam, and Jeff, and we were pretty inseparable, hung out together all the time. We, My dad had a garage set up, uh, the shop set up in the garage, sort of separate from the house, you know. And but the coolest thing my dad had in that little shop was an AM radio set on shop table about the size of a book, bread yeah. box, you know, big white, big plastic white radio. And we used to listen to WQXI 79, 79 AM out of Atlanta. Gary McKee was the morning DJ there. Man, the music he played was awesome. I mean, just there weren't any format lines, you know. Yeah, he, he just played great music. And that's where I found, that's where I really discovered my love for music was there on Thomas Road. Well, and, you, uh, my old, my older brother played guitar, and like usual, the younger brother wants yeah. to learn to play guitar oh, yeah. too. And uh, of course, my brother was too busy to teach me, but my mom taught me three chords. One one of them wasn't quite right, but it was close. <laughs> and uh, and but but I, I loved it. I just fell in love with it. Yeah. And to make it in the country music industry, uh, everybody has said this for decades. You have to know three chords and be willing to sing the truth, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you started singing pretty early, right? Um, you started off a little bit while you were still a uh, teenager and then started singing um, for the Georgia Bulldogs. Well, yeah, I I, I guess I, I played around all around the country. I played all over doing the, uh, there's an organization called young life that uh-huh. were with high school, high school kids. And I got to, we're fortunate to get to go to a lot of their camps around the country and, and go to different cities and play for those kids. They were just a great bunch, great organization. And, but in, um, 1984, I think it was a friend of mine, uh, who was going to school there, wanted to know if I come up to Athens to play. 
And I said, sure, it pays, that plays, you know? And uh, so she booked me at this club every other week over uh, three weeks over a five week period. And uh, so my bass guys playing bass with me at the time, Mike Steele, who's still playing bass with me. Uh, we went up there and did this, this gig for three weeks over, over five weeks. And by the end of the second week playing there, they booked us for, that was in the spring. They booked us for the summer, the entire summer. And before summer was over, they booked us for the entire next school year. Yeah. And so we moved, we moved to Athens uh-huh. and that, that's kind of where it all, and man, game weekends were just oh yeah, insane. amazing, right? Insane. Yeah. So much fun. Hey, for those of you who are tuning in that are not from uh, Georgia or from the Southeastern United States, we're not talking about Athens, Greece. We're talking about the <laughs> other Athens, Athens, Georgia, which is the home of the University of Georgia and the Georgia Bulldogs. We have something in common, John. You and I are both Georgia Bulldogs fans. So come on, hold up that blanket so that everybody can see how proudly you represent those Bulldogs. Yep, there it is, the famous Georgia G. Yeah, it's it's a little chilly here in the house today. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I got this mental image right now of you playing for 20,000 screaming, uh, you know, college fans um, as they're getting ready to prepare for a a Saturday football game at Sanford Stadium in Atlanta or in Athens, Georgia. Well, most of our stuff was playing at at the club there, but we played at all all these different clubs around Athens and, and it was so much fun. And we got to play for some homecoming events uh, and some big pep rallies at the stadium and stuff like that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And we just we just had a great time of playing course. there, and Athens was a great. That's where I met my wife, Robin, and we've been married for thirty four years now. And way to it, go, it, man! It, it, it might work out. Yeah, after thirty four years, I think you guys are on track. <laughs> so, hey, your career—you started recording, you started making some hits. Um, I want to talk about kind of how that career evolved because let's just be honest, nobody makes it in the music industry easy. It's not overnight success. Even those folks that are on reality TV shows put in a lot of reps and a lot of hard work to get there. So how do you go from playing clubs in Athens, Georgia, to writing and performing some Grammy-nominated songs, some albums that go platinum? Tell us a little bit about the journey. Well, it, it, my recording career, actually, my, my first album I recorded in... Um, it, it, we released it. It was finished up. And it came out in 1979. Uh, it's a record called Humble Beginnings. Uh-huh. And uh, I hope none of your listeners ever have to sit through it. Uh, it's horrid. But, uh, but we, uh, we learned a lot. We learned about what to do, more importantly, what not to do. And uh, I recorded that album in the basement of my parents' house. My dad had helped me build a little recording studio. We had no idea what we were doing, uh-huh. but we built this little studio. And we recorded my first three albums in that studio. And then um, the next three I recorded outside of there. And so I recorded six albums between 1979 and the last independent record I did, I think was in 1986. So I did those six records over the years. And then uh, in 19, uh, well, maybe maybe it was a little later than that. 
Yeah, yeah. My last independent record came out a little later. That really doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, I recorded six over the years. And then um, in, 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 I guess it was spring, late winter of 1992, I was driving home. I was playing clubs in Athens, Georgia. I um, had moved up to Athens to play. And we developed a strong following mm -hmm. there and, and made a great living playing uh, playing clubs around Athens. And we lived out in the country about eight, about 18 miles out of town. And I was uh, driving home from a gig. My wife, Robin, had been staying home, but not going to the clubs with me as much and playing because we had our daughter. And mm -hmm. so she goes some, but not a lot. And that particular night I was driving home, I think it was in February of 92 and uh, early March. And the DJ came on the radio. He said, Joe Diffie fans, turn it up. I got a brand new Joe Diffie song for you. I love Joe Diffie. Yeah. I turned the volume up and Joe sings the song Ships That Don't Come In. And that was one of those moments, you know. Uh -huh. Um. Joe sang, and for those who stand on empty shores and spit against the wind, and those who wait forever for ships that don't come in. It occurred to me that maybe, for the first time, maybe my dream of being this well-known singer was not in the cards. Yeah. Uh, maybe I was going to be a guy playing clubs around Athens, Georgia, I mean, I was in my 30s at that time, you know. Um, and by today's standards, that's how that's old man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the music business. So I, it broke my heart, you know, it really did. Yeah. And uh, I, I drove on home, got home late, and woke my wife up. And through tears, I told her about this song of Joe's, and I told her what I was feeling. And I said, I dreamed bigger than this. You know, I, I, we need to figure out what we what we need to do. So we stayed up all night talking about a plan, and we came up with an idea that we would do an industry showcase in Nashville. We'd send out invitations two weeks before. We'd do the showcase. We'd wait two, two weeks to hear. Then we'd start the cycle again. And we were going to do that for a year and see if we could garner some yeah. attention. If we couldn't, we'd punt. Well, we were going to give it a, a strong, solid yeah. year. If we couldn't do it, then we would just develop Athens and yeah. the Southeast as big a thing as we could make it. And we went uh, in May of 1992 and did our first industry showcase mm -hmm. at Douglas Corner. It's a, a showcase room in Nashville. Mm -hmm. Writers, they have a lot of writers' nights and things. And... Um, we sent out 250 industry invitations and no one came except one guy on that list. Oh, that's crushing. And, uh, you know, in, in one way it was kind of a little bit of a relief because I wanted to be sure when I got to Nashville, I sounded like I sounded in uh -huh. Athens, but on the other hand, I was a little defeating because, you know, this one guy shows up. Yeah. Well, that one guy worked for Jimmy Bowen, who was the president of Capitol records. And that one guy's sister had told him about me months and months before, uh -huh. maybe a couple of years before. And that one guy had come to Athens to see another band play 
and they liked him okay, but he wanted to go see that John Barry guy his sister had told him about, and he couldn't get in because there was a line down the street. <laughs> so that one guy called, came to the showcase that night, and afterwards we went to dinner, and he called me the next morning. He goes, hey, Jimmy Bowen wants to have breakfast with you at brunch. Look, come on over to his house. Here's his address. I said, dude, we're already back in Athens. <laughs> wow. So, so they set up a showcase a few weeks later and went up and I did a showcase of just for joke for yeah. just for Bowen, took my band up and we did it. Walked out of there with a deal. Yeah. This story is incredible. You really do have humble beginnings because you're performing you're recording albums literally in your basement, the yeah. the studio that your father threw together for you. And let's on a, just on a, on a four on a four track reel to reel. <laughs> and let's just be honest, John. After album after album, and you're you're making headway in your hometown, but you're really not getting a lot of attention. Other guys would have just thrown in the, the towel before you get to this one more attempt. We're gonna go to Nashville. We're gonna give it one more shot. Um, why in those in those years in the basement did you not throw in the towel and just say, I guess it isn't in the cards for me? I didn't know any better. I, I, you know, I just didn't, um, I was, I was single, you know, I was, I was just a guy living at my folks house. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's a, there were some sad things that happened. My mom passed away uh -huh. in 1981 mm -hmm. and I stayed there uh, in the house cause my dad was there. So I stayed there and lived there with him. And, uh, my brother was at college. He was in and out. And my sister, she was married and raised in a family, mm -hmm. so she wasn't around very much. And so it was me and my dad mainly. And um, so, and, and then um, after my, my dad ended up moving out of the house, and I stayed there. My dad owned the house. And, uh, and, and during that time, I, I, I got run over by a car. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and broke both my legs and my left hip. And uh, so um, I, I really couldn't work anymore. And but I, because I'd been working at a factory yeah. in Atlanta, and um, but I discovered I could still sit on a stool and play a guitar. So that's really, I mean, that's how I got thrust into music full time, as I couldn't do anything else. Yeah, I didn't really have a choice, and um, I, I got very fortunate to get to be a part of the music in Athens, even though I wasn't part of the Athens music scene. Uh -huh. When they talk about the Athens music scene, they talk about REM and you know, a lot of the alternative yeah. music that came out and, and I, I, that wasn't, that wasn't what I did, yeah. you know, I, I just played acoustic guitar. I was, I was like doing James Taylor and John Denver, uh -huh. and Harry Chapin. And, um, and that's more of the kind of stuff I did. And even though we, we turned into a, a full on throwdown party act, it was, we were so sure. much fun and uh brown eyed girl and the whole bit. Oh you know? yeah. Yeah. And uh, Volcano by Jimmy Buffett mm -hmm. and all those songs. But we just had a lot of fun playing in Athens. And, and, and it just, there were years between 1980, from 1980 and 1984 when I moved to Athens that I made no money. I was living on frozen pizzas yeah. and soup and super K cola from uh -huh. Kroger, you know? And uh, I got this gig playing in Athens and I thought, man, this is terrific. <laughs> I mean, I was making, I was making, I, was, I built a farm over the yeah. years. Matter of fact, by the time we played, left that place, we had a hundred, hundred and five acres, and it's a beautiful place. Yeah. And, and we were, we were really blessed. And 
Um, but but there there were some when I, I really never thought much about doing anything else or am I going the right path until I heard Joe sing that song. Yeah, and I was like, man, am I am I doing the right thing here? What you know is my ship ever gonna yeah come in as the song says? And uh, that's when we decided to. Yeah, give it that one leg, right. give it that big push and yeah. take a year and commit to going to Nashville every every four to six weeks and drive the train on it, see what happens. Yeah. So well, John, I also want to give credit though, when you are getting ready to pour your heart out, you've sent the invitations out, you've invited a lot of people, and only one guy shows up. Before you even start to play the first song, a lot of people will be so defeated that they're not going to give it their best. They're just going to kind of muddle their way through it and think this was a failure today. So the one guy that shows up is the only guy that really matters, but you don't know that ahead of time, which means you had to have given that show, you had to been, you had to given those songs everything that you've got, or else the guy wouldn't have even stuck around to talk to you. I, I got to know what was going through your mind when you're getting ready to start singing and there's only one guy in the room and you're thinking this was a bust. Yeah. Well, the, the, fortunately, we had friends and, and people that knew us in, that, in Nashville that came uh -huh. to see us. Yeah, but as far as the industry people, there was the one guy that showed up. So there were there were a handful of other sure, folks there yeah. too. I mean, it's not a big place to start with, and uh, but we uh, we we had some some friends that came and friends of friends and things like uh -huh. that. So we had some folks there to sing for, and and I'm a ham man. When it comes to a chance to sing for somebody, you okay. count me in. All right. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it all I got, you know, because you know how many. How many chances do you get That's right. to sing? Yeah. Well, you meet with the, the guy who is really going to introduce you to Capitol Records. This sounds like a happily ever after story, but your story is far from happily ever after. You sign a deal <laughs> in 92, you start to make records, and then in May of 94, your life just takes a really radical turn. Tell us about this medical issue, the medical problems that you went through in 94. I am a, I am defective. <laughs> so am I, if it makes you feel any better, man, so am I. Oh my gosh. I'm so defective. But yeah, I, so starting around Christmas of 93, um, just started feeling weird. Uh -huh. Just different. Uh, by the early part of February, I was acting really weird. Um, by March, um, I told my wife, Robin, she didn't need to be on the road with us anymore. She needs to stay home, raise her family. She's pregnant with her second child. Mm -hmm. um, her mom was traveling with us at the time as well. They didn't need to be out on the road with a band and all those people. I sent them home, and then I, I quit calling. And just, you know, just got a little weird. And, and then... Um, May, uh, April 28th, she found me in Washington, D.C., uh, got my tour schedule and that we would send out to all the families and she got a hold of it, found out I was at the, this hotel and got a hold of me. She said, hey, I'm going to the hospital today. Sean's going to be born today. And I said, that's great. Let me know how it goes. I was just like. And um, just broke her heart, you know. 
And a few minutes later, my road manager gets a call from my mother-in-law, Carol. Mm -hmm. She said, I don't care what he's doing. I don't care who he's doing. You get him on a plane home today. And Carol's like the old E.F. Hutton commercials. When Carol talks, people listen. You know, she's a tough one. And uh, so Robin got me up. Robin Majors got me on a plane. I don't remember flying to Atlanta. I don't remember landing. I don't remember renting a car. I don't. I barely remember driving to Athens. Uh, I don't remember going in the hospital. I remember vaguely walking into Robin's room and her not recognizing me. She hadn't seen me so long. Uh -huh. I lost 50 pounds. Wow. I was nauseated all the time. I yeah. quit eating. Yeah. And uh, everybody, oh, matter of fact, the, the band, Every I found out later, a couple of years later, that every time I was off the bus, the guys were searching my back room on the bus to try and find the cocaine I was uh -huh. abusing. Because I'd gone off the deep end. And uh, so I was there, and, and I got there about after, about an hour after our son was born. And a little after visiting there, uh, I needed Robin asked me if I would take Sean to the nursery. So I walked him down to the nursery down the hall, and I was walking back down the hall, and I just had to sit down. I was just like, God, I can't take this headache anymore. It's killing me, nauseated. And I was sitting on the floor, and this nurse sees me sitting there and she says, John, is that you? And I looked up as this nurse that I had lady I had known from Athens mm -hmm. and she sat down on the floor and like all good nurses, she started asking questions about my family and how I was feeling about is any illnesses going on in our family. And I said, well, my mom, she died of a cerebral brain aneurysm mm -hmm. in 1981. She said, oh, wow, it's very different. What about your dad? I said, oh, he's still living. She said, Does he have, has he had any medical history? I said, well, before I was born, he had a brain, cerebral brain aneurysm as well, but survived it. I didn't know a gurney could go that fast. <laughs> really? They had, they had me in the emergency room. The day the that your son was born and you're walking him down to put him in the nursery in the same hospital. Well, I'm actually walking back from dropping yeah. him off at the nursery, and yeah, and they take me, they take me to the emergency room, fly me down there, and they do an emergency CAT scan, and they find right in the third ventricle of my brain a, a, a blister about uh -huh. the size of the end of your finger, a, a cyst, about like basically I describe it as a blister, and it was blocking the drainage of fluid down the spinal column, and causes the the fluid around the brain that it continues to manufacture mm -hmm. to build up. And in infants, it causes the head to swell yeah. because the skull's not developed. Right. In me, it caused extreme loss of appetite, extreme nausea, change of personality, all these things. And so this was on a Thursday the next morning, they had me scheduled to go see a neurologist and saw him on Friday. No, so this was Friday morning. This Friday by lunchtime, I was a neurologist. Monday morning, they had scheduled to have a craniotomy done. Take off the top of your skull. Yeah. Go get it. Put it back together. 
Jimmy Bowen got word, the president of Capitol Records, he goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're not going to saw my boy's head off. No, 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 no. So he called a friend of his at Baptist in Nashville, who called a friend of his at Emory University Medical School. Mm-hmm. And they had a new procedure at that time, uh, fiber optic surgery. They drill two holes, go in with a fiber optic camera and a laser beam, poke a hole in it, see what happens, and cyst. So that's what they did, and I woke up, and I was me with a bad memory. Yeah, right, um, because after this surgery, which, by the way, is brand new and highly experimental, but the option is to basically remove the top half of your head, um, go yeah. in there after it, <laughs> as you just described. Um, yeah. When the surgery is over with, you have some relief from the pain, but now you have an, a complication because of your memory. T- describe what happens to your memory after this procedure. What memory? <laughs> um, my manager called Robin, my manager's office called, and he said, what's wrong with John? And she said, what do you mean? She said, well, he's calling here like 50 times a day asking the same question because I would call and I hang up and I go, Oh, I got to call him. And I call him again. A few minutes later, I call him again. And cause I couldn't, I had no short term mm-hmm. memory at all. A lot of long-term memory was messed up. Um, a lot of things were just jumbled up timelines. Um, um, even, uh, to this day, it used to be, I used to, uh, I had that kind of brain that I could dial a phone number. I'd never forget mm-hmm. it. Or if I went somewhere, uh, directions, I would never forget how I got there. Now I can't, you can't tell me a number. I have to write it down. Uh-huh. I can't remember the number. And if I check into a hotel room, my game, I play with myself every time is when I leave the hotel room, is which way to the elevator. Really? 99% of the time I go the wrong way. Yeah. Still, I mean, it's just nuts. It's just nuts. But those are two things that remembering numbers and directions are just completely Uh foreign to me now. And, uh, but um, most everything's pretty normal though, other than that, you know. And uh, so I have have some memory things. I, I have... I have selective memory loss. Uh-huh. It depends on if my wife tells me something important. I have the exact same thing, man. Pick up stuff at the grocery store. Yeah. It's, it's all selective memory loss. Yeah, I have the exact same thing. I have selective memory loss, and I didn't even have the surgery, and I have it. Come on. Um, <laughs> it's. I, I, I just want to point out, it's pretty hard to uh, write, record, or even to perform songs when you've just lost your short-term memory and you don't remember what happened just 30 seconds ago. It's a little bit hard since your entire career as a musician is based on your memory and your ability to recall chords and, and, um, choruses and everything else. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Teleprompter became a good friend for a little while. Uh Uh-huh. John, you didn't go through just one. And by the way, this is the moment where you really should be on the top of the world because you've got a record deal. You know, you're starting to make some progress in your music career. It's now, it doesn't look like you're just going to be a local Athens, Georgia guy or a southeastern United, southeast part of the United States guy. But maybe this thing really will start to take off. 
And you don't go through just one health problem, but then you start to have some problems with your vocal cords. Um, can you describe what, what, what was going on there and kind of what it took for you to recover from this one as well? Yeah. Well, just, just to throw in another interesting point is the morning I had brain surgery on May the 10th of 94. That's the morning that the R&R chart came on. And I had my first number one. Oh, he goes to number one the day that he's going. They're wheeling him in for surgery on uh, experimental, highly experimental surgery on on his brain. It was crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Well, then in 1997, I was getting ready for my Christmas tour. And um, that fall leading up to Christmas tour rehearsal, I kept losing my voice really quickly. I get hoarse really fast. Uh So I went and got checked up, and I had a polyp on my vocal cord, on one of my vocal cords. And by the way, just explain to somebody how dangerous this is to a career musician. Uh, well, you can, you can, basically, the doctor told me, he said, you can go and do the tour and sing around it as best you can. Chances are it's going to be okay. You push too hard, you pop this thing, and it's all over. So, and all over means you're going to be talking in a little bit more than a whisper, basically for the rest of your life. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Not just a music yeah. career, but you'll be talking yeah. to your children and grandchildren in a little bit more than a whisper. Yeah. I, I still have some promoters that have not hired me since then because I canceled that Christmas tour on them and they lost a bunch of money. And I, what, what are you going to do? Yeah. 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 The options are uh, bad or worse. You think I wanted to cancel a, a sold out Christmas tour? Please. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. So it was, it was a, that was, that was a tough deal, you know, because She's Taking a Shine was the number one record. And so I had two number one records and they really didn't get to support, go on the road and support yeah. those records at the, those times. So yeah. I, I just want to, I'm going to remind the audience of what they just heard. Um, if you're listening to this, the day that John is coming out of surgery and losing most of his short-term memory is the day that his song, your love amazes me goes to number one on the charts. And, uh, you know, like you did. Yeah, oh, exactly. <laughs> um, and this should be the moment where you're sitting on top of the world and you're really in a life threatening health condition here. Um, which just goes to show you nobody on the planet is immune from physical difficulties, from disease, from suffering, from, you know, hardships, no amount of fame, no amount of money, no amount of success can, can make you immune to those things. Right. No respecter of persons. Yeah. John, you started talking about Christmas. We're going to talk about your music today, the Christmas tour that you're um, embarking on. Because, by the way, this episode is going to is airing right during the middle of the heart of the Christmas season. Um, but I, I tell people I've got this little segment that I like to do during the middle of the podcast. I like to have a little bit of fun, you know, uh, lighten things up a little bit, um, and just talk about things that everybody's going through right now. So since it's the holiday season and everybody is right in the middle of the hustle and bustle of a very busy season, I like to think about the things about this season between Thanksgiving and Christmas that just really mean the most to me. I want you to think about it for a second too, John, and I'm going to ask you, um, you know, what are some of the things that you really enjoy about it, but I'm going to give you my top five. 
These are the okay. top five high five things that I really love best about the Christmas season. And number one, um, our number five on my list is watching people decorate their house next door to me, like Clark Griswold, you know, from the classic Christmas vacation movie where every square inch of everything in the house has a Christmas light on it. That has to be some of the most fun, just watching them on a ladder, putting the lights up. That's crazy um, stuff, man. Number four on my list is pumpkin spice, but not pumpkin spice lattes. We're now at the point um, where there is pretty much pumpkin spice ice cream, pumpkin spice pizza. You can get pumpkin spice just about everything right now if you want it. Um, and I like pumpkins. I just don't like pumpkin spice that much. Um, I got to throw this in there because I really believe it. But it, it also, if you didn't put this on the list, there would be a glaring hole. Of course, the whole peace on earth, goodwill towards men thing. That's pretty cool during the holiday season. But my last two, and these two are probably neck and neck. Like I'm struggling to figure out what's number one on my list and what's number two on my list, because these two are so close to one another. One of the, the last two and probably number two on the list is people during this season of the year, they think about themselves less and they think about others more often. They give more often. They buy gifts for other people. Their thoughts are just less on themselves and more on other people. And I think that's really one of the things that makes this part of the year so awesome. But for me, hands down, John, it's got to be the music. Man, I love Christmas music. I like the whole range of Christmas music. You know, from Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite to blues to the... Elvis's White Christmas, you name it. I like it all. So um, those are kind of my top things that I enjoy about the this season of the year. What about you, man? What are one or two things that you really like about this time of year? I think the, my, my number one thing is getting together with my, my children and my, of course, this year, my granddaughter's coming. Awesome. Uh, so that's awesome. She, she's a, a little over a year and a half. And so she's going to start figuring it out here pretty soon. Yeah. And, uh, but she's precious. So, uh, last year we went to Texas to see them for her first Christmas and I got COVID while I was there. Oh so, no. So we weren't there, but a very short period of time and had to come back home. Yeah. Um, but getting to spend time with our, 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 our children and their spouses and, and, uh, spend time with family. That's the most important thing. And, um, and then, uh, touring, getting to go to our Christmas tour. And, yeah. Touring, go go to our Christmas tour and touring and go to our Christmas tour and touring some more, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, it really is the music, man. The music is just amazing this time of year. Music is good all year long, but just this time of year, it seems like there's music everywhere coming out of every nook and cranny of society. It's yeah. beautiful. It's it's really something. You know, somebody somebody uh, uh, was saying that when when COVID was at its peak, they said I was doing an interview and they said. It'll be really nice uh, when this passes and we can get back to normal. And I, it just came out of my mouth. I said, I hope we don't get back to normal. That's right. Yeah. I hope we get back to better. Yeah. You One know? of the gifts and COVID it, may bring to us is to force yeah. us to figure out a better normal, right? And, and, and that's one of the things about Christmas is when, it, when Christmas comes, there's that, there, there's a kindness that people have. There's, there's, it, 
there's there's something different about that time of year. And wouldn't it be bad? Wouldn't it be awesome if we didn't have to go back to normal? Yeah, if we lived like after. that all year long, that yeah. would be awesome. Hey, you're in the middle of the Christmas tour, so tell everybody about the Silver Anniversary Tour. Well, man, I love doing this tour. I really do. Um, we, we're doing uh, right at 20 cities this year and uh, having a great time. We're, we're, uh, going, we're going as far away as uh, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. All right. And, and Madison, Wisconsin, which is just north of Chicago. Um, over into Michigan and Ohio and um, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, West Tennessee, uh, Arkansas, I think. I'm not sure exactly, but, but it's a good, pretty good route of dates. So we've got one in Florida, um, just a, a nice run of shows. And um, to, been, to be able to have done this for, you know, our 25th season, yeah, it's pretty amazing. And I feel really, really fortunate and blessed that we've gotten to do this. Yeah. So you're hitting basically all of the cities that matter, from Nashville to Madison, Wisconsin, is what you're saying. <laughs> um, you got another album, right? Find My Joy again. Tell us about the album. Um, what about it that's, that you really enjoy? What should people listen for on this album that, that will be awesome? This is um, probably unlike any record I've ever ever done, other than my Old Holy Night record, mm -hmm. the Christmas record. Um, it's done with piano, acoustic guitars, uh, some bass, a little bit of drums, a few electric guitars, much like the Christmas record. Yeah, but it has forty-five string players. Wow. And we did six hymns and four new faith-based songs. And it's produced, and, and the hymns are ones that anybody grew up in Southern Baptist Church don't know. You, you know, know these, or, right? Or a, lot, or a lot of other yeah. churches, you know. Uh, How great thou art, and blessed assurance, and great is thy faithfulness. And just these classic faith hymns. And then we have, like I said, four new songs, one being Find My Joy Again. And um, it was produced by Steve Dorff. And a lot of your viewers and listeners may not know Steve Dorff, but they know his music. Uh -huh. Steve has written so many songs for so many artists like Celine Dion and Barbara Streisand and Garth Brooks and all these people, me now. Yeah. He has a book called, yeah, I wrote that one too. <laughs> he's got, You've got to write he literally a, has the book on it. A lot of songs. Yeah. To write You've a book write title a like that. Yeah. To have a title like that. And, um, but Steve brought such a freshness to this record. And the reason he brought such a freshness is because he had never heard most of these songs. Mm -hmm. He'd heard how great they are, but he'd never heard blessed assurance. Yeah or how great is thy faithfulness, or or it is well with my soul. He, and you think, how is that possible? Well, he grew up in New York City, and he's Jewish. You know, he he, he called me one day, he said, about the greatest thy faithfulness, the song, Greatest Thy Faithfulness. He goes, 
oh my gosh, this is the most beautiful song. Why have I never heard this? I said, well, you have been in the Baptist church, yeah. <laughs> you know? And uh, so, so he, 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 he came into these songs with this freshness and this childlike wonder about, wow, wow, what can we do to enhance this even more? And, and he wrote the most beautiful string parts. I mean, yeah. just breathtaking. And uh, to be in there with these string players, this big group of players, and they would they would record their parts, and I would stand there listening, going, "Oh my gosh, I don't even want to sing. It's so beautiful." Right. Yeah. And then then they go back and double it, and it was like, "What?" It would just get so yeah. huge. Yeah. It was so beautiful, and, uh, and it was just great. And then they got there's a few songs they have a small choir that joined us and sang on it, and it was just great. Just I'm so thrilled. I can't wait till I can't. Yeah, I was going to say, I cannot wait to hear this because almost never do you get a chance to hear a new take on old hymns like you're describing, John. And somebody who's never, somebody who has that kind of musical experience, but has never heard those songs when they listen to them for the first time and then add their take to those songs, you got something really special there. Hey, if you guys haven't already checked it out, go listen to Find My Joy Again. I'm guessing that's going to hit on all of the streaming media sources as well as you can you can download it out there. How do people find that uh, that new album, John? Well, the best way is to go to johnberry.com. It'll actually be coming out in um, mid-spring. Um, there'll be early releases going, I think, uh, uh, late February, early March. And... Um, with, with the uh, record coming out uh, officially coming out the first week of April, I think it is. And uh, so we're real excited about that. Or, um, I, I can't say anything about it today, but I did sign, I, I lease, I did a lease masters. I own the masters to All the right. record and I've leased those to a major label and uh, a wonderful organization. That's going to be just, it's going to be awesome is what you're saying. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, yeah. So if you want more, if you want to know more, go to John Barry, the word, Berry, like the fruit, johnberry.com. Um, John, I want to spend a few minutes talking about your podcast. Um, you and Robin got a chance to put your hearts and your heads together and to start a podcast. So why did you guys decide to launch Faith, Family, and Friends? Well, we're sitting around here during COVID, staring at each other. and Like the rest of the world. I, I cleaned the flower beds as much as I could. <laughs> and uh, mow the grass twice a week and so trying to figure out what to do and and we had uh, a friend of ours uh, who said you guys ought to do a podcast he came came down to visit for a few days and he's a media guy and and he said you guys are funny together he said y'all you know he said y'all ought to to do a podcast together and and so we got thinking about it and um, I've got a little recording set up here at home and um I bought Robin her, her own microphone over here. All and set right, she's she's in the big time now. Yeah, set her down and said, "Let's talk." So we we recorded a couple of episodes to see what we had, and it was fun. And um, we we did a subscription base uh, over the past year, uh, year and a half, and um, just over a year. And uh, it, we've had we had a great bunch of followers, and it, it helped us uh, get it off the ground. Yeah. And um, starting in January, it's going to go to a free format. It'll be available on all services. There you have it, everybody. So be able to go. There's some great interviews that, that we have. Um, 
with a lot of different people, like people like Scott Hamilton and um, uh, some radio personalities that mm-hmm. uh, Megan Alexander from, she's a, a correspondent on entertainment tonight and she lives here in Nashville. And, uh, Bill Cody has got, he's a big time DJ here All in right. Nashville. And uh, we had uh, the privilege of July the 1st, of having a wonderful conversation with my friend, Charlie Daniels. And then yeah. on July 6th, yeah. he passed yeah. away. And, uh, it was an extraordinary conversation. I've known Charlie a long time. When I first signed my record deal with Jimmy Bowen in 1992, I signed a deal with, uh, David Corlew, who was Charlie's manager and mm-hmm. still is, and uh, has managed Charlie's career for many, many years. David Corlew is a great guy. And, Great organization, great people, and um, uh, but we had a wonderful conversation. And in the first fifteen minutes of that conversation, Charlie talks about being in heaven three times. Really? Yeah. yeah. And it's quite remarkable. And um, when I, I, it took me to when we recorded the interview on July first, and a few days later, he passed away. And I, I, I couldn't even go back and listen. Mm-hmm. And about a month later, we went back. I started editing. And I didn't edit anything Charlie said. I edited some of the stuff I said yeah. and cleaned it up a little bit. But I left every word he said because there are no more words yeah. in this. So uh, it was just, it was, a, it was, I get emotional thinking yeah. about it. it. It was a great conversation. I can't wait to share it. Yeah, well. Can't share with the world most of the world anybody who's familiar with the music industry and especially country music knows that charlie daniels was a legendary voice in the music industry but everybody that i've talked to and i've never had the privilege of meeting him personally john but everybody that i've talked to that has met him personally has said he's much more than just a legendary voice he is just an incredible man and after he passed, of course, it was a big loss. So yours was one of the last interviews that he ever did before passing. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he was a force to, he was a force of nature. Yeah. And, you know, here, here he was in his eighties and rocking like he was 25. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Still, yeah. um, bringing the devil down to Georgia like he did yeah. many years, uh, you know, many years in the past. Yeah. He, he, he loved his wife and his son, Charlie Jr. And uh, in the conversation, he said, "There's only place in only one place in the world I'd rather be than Twin Pine, Twin Pines Farm in Mount Juliet. That'd uh-huh. be in heaven." Yeah. If people so, want to find this podcast, Faith, Family, and Friends, where do they? Where's the best place to go to track track it down? Uh, Johnberry.com. Yeah. yeah, you can go there, and, uh, and like I said, when um, when it goes uh, when it goes uh, onto all the free platforms uh-huh. at the first of the year. Uh, this is still the best way to go is go to johnberry.com. There'll be links there to take you to all the streaming services. Yeah. We'll, you'll, you'll see yours on there somewhere. We'll post a, a link to your website, but also to Faith, Family, and Friends in the notes to this broadcast. Yeah. John, one of the things that I really love about your story is how you've handled adversity and how strong you have been through some ups in your music career, but also through some downs in health and in life. 
Um, and I think people can learn from you because you didn't face just one challenge, but it was challenge after challenge after challenge. You didn't let those years in your basement um, overwhelm you. You decided you were going to be unbeatable. You didn't let the surgeries um, de- defeat you. You you chose to be unbeatable. For people that are struggling right now, and I've started to ask my guests this as kind of a way of wrapping up this episode. For the people that are struggling right now and they're listening to this episode and they're, they just need a word of encouragement, what's the one thing that you would give them to encourage them to not give in, not throw in the towel, but to just keep pressing on? What would you say to them? Jesus Christ. All right. Explain it a little bit more, just so that people that haven't heard or don't are, are not making the connection can make the connection, yeah. John. Well, God has a plan for your life. And people say, well, how do you, how do you know what the, the plan is? How do you, how do you know what the, I mean, God doesn't write it on the wall in right. Sharpie, but he, but God does give us a, a pathway in his word and studying God's word. And, and even if you don't understand it, there are ways of getting uh, like, like our, we, we go to long hollow, long hollow Baptist church, mm-hmm. long hollow church. You can go to longhollowchurch.com. There's Bible study plans on there. You can, you can, you can get resources that you can get. And there's wonderful media available where like sometimes you'll read a chapter in the, in the, in the Bible and you'll go, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Well, there are resources that'll tell you what that's talking about. It'll explain it in, in a modern day language, what God's trying to teach us through the, those moments. And knowing that our creator this creator created you, he created me, and he loves me, he loves you, has a plan for each of our lives. It makes me want to know him. And I do, in, in, in knowing what our plan is for our life, what I try to do, is live my life the way I know my that God will want me to live my life, mm-hmm. and through strength and faith in Christ. And if I do that, that's what that's that's how I know I'm walking the yeah. plan God has yeah. for me is by by focusing on Him. Um, I I find the most miserable times in my life are when I look back and go, Oh, well, you were doing your thing. <laughs> instead of the thing that you were supposed to, that God has, yeah, has laid out for you thing. to do. Yeah. 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 Um, it, it, so it, it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to be led astray into things that you think are important. And, and, but what really matters is Living your life in a way that honors God and seeking Him. If you're seeking Him, you're on the right path. Yeah. You know, and uh, happiness on this earth isn't found in anything on this earth. So it's, uh, uh, 
there's an old, there's a, a, an early 70s Christian rock guy named Larry Norman who had an album called Only Visiting This Planet. Mm-hmm. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just, we're just here for a right. visit. <laughs> so, and, um, so we, we have other things to do, other places to go and, and, and it all depends on our faith in Christ. And so, um, so that's, that's really my very uneducated opinion about faith. Yeah. Well, John, right in the heart of this Christmas season, people have heard this before and it's, it bears true. So it should be reminded or it should be reiterated. Thank you for bringing it back up. There really is a reason for this season. And it's not about gifts. As you've just said, John, it's actually about one gift, the gift. It is the greatest gift ever given God's gift of his son and your album, Finding My Joy Again, the Christmas tour, even your podcast, Faith, Family, and Friends, is all designed to just remind people about this incredible gift that God has given. And it's free and available if you would just be willing to sincerely receive it and to, to accept it. So thanks yeah. for being, being part of this episode today, man. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. Every, the, the one thing everybody seeks is love. Um, love and acceptance and peace and all those things, uh, all that is wrapped around love. And God is love. I mean, it's, it's, we may not, well, I, I don't want to get too philosophical. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that we have a God who loves us, our creator who loves us so much that he sent Jesus. For God so loved me that he sent his only son, that if I will trust in him, I will live everlasting life yeah. and spend eternity with him. Yeah. Same for you, same for everyone. That's right. John, your tour is saying that. Your album that's coming out is saying that. Your podcast is saying it. Man, thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying it loud and saying it often. Thank you. Yeah, Good being with you. It's been great having you on, man. God bless. Hey, if you were to go out and do a Google search of John Barry's name, one of the first things that's going to pop up is his obituary. He has been through so many difficulties and so many trials in life that there's actually a Google entry for his obituary, but obviously he's still alive. Well, I think what you've heard today is a guy who has gone through problem after difficulty and he didn't let it defeat him. And I hope this episode is giving you some encouragement. So if you're catching this podcast for the first time. If, if you're new to Unbeatable, you can follow us on social media. We're pretty much everywhere. Just search for at Unbeatable Podcast. I'm also building an army of men and women who are deciding I'm not going to let circumstances beat me. I'm going to get up and dust myself off when I get knocked down and I'm going to be unbeatable too. And if you want to join the Unbeatable Army, you can sign up at unbeatablearmy.com. Hey, thanks for joining us today. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you right back here next time.